From Mediaface, this is Her Story, a podcast about Canadian women owning it. Twitters really do prosper, and it's one of the best-kept secrets out there. I'm Amanda Capito, and this episode, we're talking about being happy at work and what it could cost you if you're not. We start at the home office of Sarah Vermont, the founder of Careergasm. Hey! Hello, come on in. Thanks, how's it going? Sarah is a career coach who works with people one-on-one, usually over the course of two months, to help them quit jobs they hate and figure out where to go from there. Her site is pretty edgy, even considering the name of her business is Careergasm with the tagline, work that feels good. But she's had to listen to her own advice in making sure her company was the right fit for her. I used to have a company that was called Aspire Coaching and it was very buttoned up and very corporate and very serious and I really hated it so I scrapped the whole thing five months in and rebuilt it and it turned into Careergasm. More than that though, she knows what it feels like to spend a whole lot of time working somewhere that was not a good fit. I used to work in academia. I was a professor teaching organizational behavior and human resources, and I really hated it. I was also doing my PhD at the time. I loved teaching, but I hated research. I hated conducting research. Um, It felt too isolating. It felt too far removed from real life, and I just couldn't do it anymore. I was 93 pages into my dissertation when I finally had a meltdown and I talked to my supervisor the next day and I just told him I was leaving. And I actually don't know what happened on that day at that particular time, but I had just had it and I could not work on it anymore. And I just kind of broke in the middle of a crowded Starbucks, which was kind of embarrassing, but it was exactly what I needed to make a huge change. And why do you think people have to get to that point? I'm sure you've seen clients on the brink of being there. Why do you stick with it for that long until that point of of breakdown? Yeah, the people who are like me and have stuck with something they hate for so long, I have found, at least from my clients, are usually doing it because they feel like there's some value in pushing through or finishing a thing and there's something wrong with quitting. you know how that there's that saying, quitters never prosper, right? Um, well, quitters, quitters really do prosper, and it's one of the best-kept secrets out there. And I think they stay because they think, actually, this is why I stayed for so long. I think they stay because they think that people are going to think poorly of them when they leave. Very often when people talk about fear of leaving their jobs, like, yes, there's fear of you know, maybe leaving a really stable salary or like a great package of benefits, but very often people are wondering, what will people think? And that prevents a lot of people, myself included, from moving forward into something that feels better. She said that people stick with things for so long that they'll end up working in jobs that make them ill. You know, very often I'll ask people, is your job making you sick? They'll say, oh my God, yes. And that's because they either um, are feeling extreme exhaustion because they just can't bring themselves to get out of bed every day to go to work for a job they're going to hate. Um, Very often they'll have like, gosh, the symptoms vary for different people. Um, But a lot of my clients have like gastrointestinal issues because of stress. 
um, really like a lot of um, body pain because of stress. I know for me, my back is a barometer for my mental health. And so when I was really miserable, my back would go out all the time. Uh, but there's this really interesting field of medicine called, you ready for it? Psychoneuroimmunoendocrinology. Yes, it's an 11 syllable word. Um, and it's basically the scientific study of the physical manifestation of um, psychological stress in your body. Wow, okay, how many times do you have to practice that word to get? No, I love that word. I, I drop that every time I can. <laughs> Okay, so I wanted to make sure that this was a real thing. I believed her, but I wanted to know more. So I went out to find someone who specialized in psychoneuroimmunoendocrinology. Meet Simon Rago. I'm director of psychology training at Montefiore Medical Center at Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York. He gave me the rundown about this 11-syllable word. It was actually a term that was coined uh, a couple of years ago to really capture where the the field has gone in terms of its knowledge of how the the sort of three major communication systems in most mammalian organisms, people being one of them, um, interact with our psychological processes. And the, the processes there, therefore, are the endocrine system, which are glands and hormones, and, and ducts as well that secrete hormones, and then our nervous system, and then our immune systems. So... So we've, we've come a long way in knowing how psychological processes interact across these complex networks and, and communicate with them in ways that can really impact our, our health and well-being. You may want to play that back to get it all, but long story short, yes, our emotional state can make us physically sick. There's been more than 25 years of research now really showing how anxiety, stress, depression, and other psychological processes can impact all these areas and other things like, like obesity, diabetes, and other areas of well-being. We know that stress can have an impact on things like our, our blood pressure and our uh, gastrointestinal functioning, like the, uh, uh, the way our stomach and, and digestive system operates. We know that, that things like depression can, uh, the presence of depression can worsen the course of, of even people going through cancer treatment. And even on a micro level too, he said people don't need to be diagnosed with depression or anxiety in order to have physical repercussions thanks to their emotions. Part of the, the lifestyles most of us have will generate some of these feelings. Living a bu- busy and full life means there'll be times in which um, we do feel and carry some stress because we know that it's not just about negative events, but positive changes in our lives also can generate stress just by virtue of the fact that they're a change. So people can sometimes feel as stressed about quote-unquote good news like we're having a baby or I got a job promotion or even I won the lottery. And so even on a smaller scale, the, what we might call like micro stresses and, and maybe not clinically depressed, but, but a prolonged period of being subclinically depressed or having, having sort of sad, intense episodes can certainly have an impact across all of these systems as well. So do you recognize this fish? It's a Dr. Seuss fish. This is the fish from the Dr. Seuss book, The Cat in the Hat. And I framed this because 
I don't know if you remember that story, but in that story, the fish is always telling people that they better not have too much fun or something bad might happen. And I think that's really similar to a lot of the stories we tell ourselves when it comes to work. So um, I like to keep that up there as a little reminder that like you don't really have to be like the little fish because he's a really serious dude and he never wants anyone to have any fun. Back at Sarah's place, she tells me that most of the people she works with are women and specifically lawyers. I'm not sure if that's indicative of the profession or if they're just coming to me for some reason. <laughs> and so I'm working with this woman. She's a lawyer. She knows she doesn't want to practice law, but she's still finding it really hard to leave because there's so much effort she's put into it, all that schooling. It's very expensive to go to law school. Plus, there's a prestige factor. You know, you tell someone you're a lawyer and it's an impressive sounding thing, but she's miserable. I haven't worked with a single person who doesn't have a lot of fear issues regarding making a big career change. Even a small career change can be really scary for people. They usually need a bit of a loving pep talk. I like to tell people it's kind of like a hug and a kick in the ass at the same time. Um, and what I tell people is I actually don't give advice. And that sounds crazy because I'm a career coach. I'm helping people with giant, like huge life decisions. Um, but the job of a really good coach is to just create a space for people to make their own decisions. And I give them homework in between our sessions so that they are actually even getting more out of it, even though we're not sitting face to face every day. Tell me a little bit about the homework then. What are some of these, is it like, I'm imagining quizzes like we did in high school, <laughs> which careers for you, but I'm sure it's more in depth than that. What, what does it entail? It's fun homework. Uh, and so I tailor it for everyone I'm working with, but some examples of homework. Uh, that people do is I'll give them some some modules to work through and read through and like answer some questions um, and do a little bit of brainstorming for example so I'm a big believer in clarity first strategy second and that's really important because if you don't get the clarity piece first like if you're not crystal clear on what it is you actually want you might actually be building a strategy in the wrong direction Her story is produced by MediaFace, a digital content agency based out of Toronto. For more where this came from, visit mediaface.ca.